वन I'm uh, Nicolas Bornolis of Capital Inc and I would like to welcome you all to the second day of our 10th annual Operational Excellence in Shipping Forum. Uh, we started yesterday with a great agenda. We, uh, we had great attendance uh, and terrific content and uh, this is uh, day number two. Uh, we welcome you back. Um, before in, uh, introducing the panel, I would like uh, to say two things, please, at the end of the session, uh, be kind to go to the CapitalLink uh, networking lounge. Uh, the panelists will be there for uh, live interaction and Q&A. And also, I would like to remind you to please visit the digital booths, go to the exhibit hall. We have uh, more than 40 uh, booths of the various sponsors with uh, very rich informative material that you can take with you uh, at your leisure to, to read uh, later on. So uh, I will um, have uh, asked Graham to take over. We're starting the day with uh, a terrific panel. As we know, classification societies play a tremendously important role in the industry. And uh, it's the first time that uh, we are privileged to have with us the CEOs of the major classification societies uh, that really uh, are the backbone of the industry working very hard uh, to support the industry. Uh, and uh, we have an amazing um, uh, moderator, Graham. Uh, everybody knows him. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, it's a wonderful way to start the second day. I'm disappearing now to let the panel go. Thank you to everybody for making this event such a great success. Okay. Um, hello, everyone. C can I just check that um, you can hear me? Yes, All okay. okay, yeah, okay. Um, so, hello everyone. Uh, so, my name is Graham Henderson, and I'd like to welcome you to today's discussion on leading the shipping industry through the next phase of innovation, regulatory compliance, and transformation. This is a timely conversation for us to be having. We're all very aware of the impact of COVID 19 on us personally, but also for our seafarers. But what is less clear is the full impact of COVID-19 on the industry. What we can be sure of is that there will be change and the right sort of leadership will be vital. The classification societies are an important group within the shipping industry. So it is with much anticipation for the first time ever in the shipping industry we brought together the top leadership from each of the major classification societies to talk about how they see the challenges ahead and how they can help enable those changes. So it is my pleasure to introduce our panelists. Um, firstly, Alistair Marsh, the CEO of Lloyd's Register. Morning. Knut Orbeck-Nielsen, the CEO of DNVGL Maritime. Good morning. Ugo Salerno, Chairman and CEO of RENA. Good morning to everybody. Mathieu Tetigny, President of Bureau Veritas. Good morning, everybody. And um, we were expecting Chris Wernicke, the Chairman, President and CEO of American Bureau of Shipping, but um, we're not sure why he's been able, unable to connect, but we hopefully he will, will connect with us. 
Graham, he will connect shortly. Sorry to interrupt. So he, he will join us in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Canute uh, was on the, uh, on the phone to him. So that, that's really good news. So let's start um, and go directly into the session. Um, and let's start with the top priority for our shipping industry, and that is safety, as we well know. The safety performance has shown improvement, but how can the classification societies help make further progress? And what are their concerns? Knut, could I ask you to lead us off with this one? Thank you very much, Graham. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I would be delighted to do that. So uh, let me start on, on the last part of your question, Graham. Uh, what are the concerns? And uh, I would like to draw everyone's attention to the lack of crew changeover uh, at the present time. And it's, it's a real challenge. And we have more than 150,000 seafarers out there uh, not being able to have a, a proper changeover. And we also heard the Secretary General uh, yesterday in his keynote talk about how this needs to be resolved quickly by the different governments and authorities. And unless this is dealt with, we will be facing, in his words, a humanitarian crisis in shipping. And naturally, for me, this is really down to the basics. If you have a fatigued crew, demotivated, longing to be with their families, long overdue for the changeover, uh, we are introducing a safety risk on the operations. And, and this is really, you know, very much down to the basics. So this has to be um, mitigated quickly and it's really up to the authorities and the governments to take action. If they do not take action, we face actually risking severe accidents, fatalities, environmental spills, everything that we work to safeguard against. So that would be my first uh, sort of point, uh, and it's really very much uh, an urgent point. Then for the more uh, longer uh, or intermediate future, I would say there are basically uh, a few areas where we can really improve. And one is to take learning from accidents that have uh, happened in the past. Now, there, there is uh, a general problem in the industry that it takes too long to do the investigations into accidents. It could be years, two years is not uncommon. And this is naturally an area where I think uh, classification societies, together with the flag states involved, together with the national authorities involved, can do a lot more to speed up the processes. The second point is really that those learnings have to be reported to the IMO for sharing in the wider industry. And unless that is done, we risk really losing out on a lot of learning, just not only just in time because of the delay, but the fact that we are actually not reporting everything. So that would be sort of my recommendations. And then we could uh, naturally talk about, you know, many of the basic stuffs like proper maintenance, you know, the, the risk of liquefaction of bulk cargoes, and there are so many things to mention, but those are the two that I would like to highlight here now. Back to you, Greg. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Knut. Some, some great points there. I see Chris has joined us. Chris, uh, very welcome <laughs> um, indeed, and, and, a, and a timely entrance because we've just been talking about safety, which, uh, as, as we've said, is the top priority for our industry. And the question that we've been asking ourselves is, um, how can the classification societies help make further progress? Knut has kicked that off. Um, would you be able to follow in with some, some points for us too? Sure, Graham, can you hear me? Absolutely perfectly. Super, so I, and I totally agree. Listen, safety is a mantra of our industry. It's becoming more synonymous uh, these days with security and reliability, and, and clearly it's going to become in this age that we're in more explicit, more predictive, uh, more real-time based, and actually more integrated. But I think the big thing here before I get to, I have two points as well to follow up on Knut, is safety's got to be really now viewed more as a condition and a state of being, uh, more like a living thing that needs cultivation rather than just uh, organizations, uh, you know, building kind of fortresses with procedures and systems. It's got to be, if I could use an analogy, more like a, rather than a permanent shield, more like a, uh, uh, what I would call a, a barrier beach uh, kind of a protective layer that, to be honest with you, needs maintenance and periodic renewal. And with that kind of said, I would tell you that probably the two biggest safety challenges that we have is one, we need to modernize SOLAS. SOLAS has not been really modernized since 1974 and then since 1960. And quite frankly, we didn't have any cell phones in 1974 uh, and let alone uh, uh, where we are. So if you look at the technology, you look at kind of the, the regulations and, and how, to, how to make sure the regulations are in sync with, with uh, technology, I would say that one, one challenge for the industry at large, but with class probably taking the point, working with IMO, is there needs to be a, a real effort to modernize and update SOLAS. The other thing I think that's going to be very important is ISM. I actually believe ISM will be the future safety framework. It's built for this, uh, for what we're looking at in terms of uh, the complexity that we're seeing as an industry. Uh, you see, again, the uh, impact and the influence of cybersecurity, and eventually you're gonna see probably COVID, uh, COVID uh, public uh, health uh, additions to, uh, to ISM, but it, that mindset has to change from a compliance mindset to more of a, um, uh, from a compliance tool to a management tool. And that's gonna be, falls into the category of culture is more important than results. And that's also gonna be an important challenge for the industry. I think that's also where class can help going forward. Thank you, Chris. Um, some, some great points there as well. Uh, very, very good. So thank you, Knut and Chris. Um, Let's keep moving, and now I'd like to turn to decarbonization. The industry has some ambitious targets to meet in the coming years set by the IMO and in line with society's expectations. So where are we on decarbonization, and how can we ensure that strong progress is delivered? Alistair, can we turn to you, please? Um, Alistair, we can't hear you. Okay, no problem. Hey, I, do it all, I do it all the time. Do my error. <laughs> no problem. Do my you. error. Um, <laughs> I'm, now, I'm now not on mute. Uh, 
Thank you for the opportunity to speak to the, the forum today. Um, look, we all work in and are passionate about an industry that is used to change and new, new challenges. Uh, we only need to look back in history to see how far we've come. The decarbonization of shipping is, of course, a huge challenge, but one that I believe we're all in a strong position to meet. The, uh, the IMO is um, targeting a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions of at least 50% by 2050, which presents a range of challenges, but also opportunities for our industry, uh, particularly looking forward to the next IMO greenhouse gas um, study, which will help to quantify progress made so far. Regulation has brought uh, momentum to the challenge with the application of the Energy Efficiency Design Index. This has led to improved technical and operational efficiency measures, uh, and these are being, being implemented across the world fleet. As an example, today one litre of fuel on a modern VLCC will move one tonne of cargo 2,800 kilometres. This is more than twice the distance of 20 years ago. So how can we harness progress already made to ensure we meet the 2050 target? For me, cross-industry collaboration holds the key. Bringing together governments and regulators and the private sector is hugely important if we are to meet our ambitious target. One such option is to finance this um, total collaboration as proposed by the International Chamber of Shipping. And it's the development of the $5 billion US dollar R&D fund. Using collective resources, we can bring together stakeholders from across the industry to develop the technology required for shipping to lead the climate change challenge. We assume a 25 year lifespan, as we all know how energy intensive building and recycling a ship can be. A vessel ordered tomorrow for, for delivery in 2022 would take its end of life very close to the um, targeted date of 2050, which leaves us with one burning question, which fuel should be used for, for propulsion? There are many zero emission vessel options for fuel that can be used to address this challenge, such as hydrogen, ammonia, and biofuel. The advantages, disadvantages, and cost implications of which are being sized up across the industry as we speak. Whichever fuel you choose comes with one common challenge though, the availability in the ports and routes on which you trade. Therefore, the fuel you choose today for your newly designed vessel needs to have a clear transition pathway to becoming a zero carbon fuel in later life. Using policy to create a level playing field between the price of today's fossil fuel and the price of tomorrow's zero carbon fuel is essential to encourage early uptake. Achieving this ambition will require industry players to work together, not only with their current industry partners, but with fuel propulsion systems, equipment manufacturers, and energy developers from outside the, the shipping sector. This will allow us to develop, prove, scale, and commercialize zero emissions vessels within the next 10 years. Zero emission vessels need to be in service before 2030 if the IMO targets are to be met. It is my belief that the um, industry's journey towards a zero carbon future cannot be disconnected from digitalization. While fuel goes a long way to addressing the issue, 
Improvements in ship design, propulsion efficiency, and operational practices are also key. The drivers for change can be enabled by effective digitalization. Utilizing the vast amount of data available to us, we can optimize a vessel's route, achieve just-in-time port arrival, improved port turnaround times, and use analytics generally to ensure your vessel is running at its optimum efficiency. The current crisis may have diverted our attention in the near term, but the need to find sustainable solutions to move shipping into a zero carbon industry still remains our number one challenge as we enter this decade of action. In summary, and to ensure that progress is made, we need to focus our attention to the fact that sustainability and digitalization are not optional. Collaboration between governments, regulators and stakeholders generally is key. And while fuel goes a long way to addressing improvements in ship, oh, I'm sorry, while fuel goes a long way to addressing this issue, improvements in ship design, propulsion efficiency and operational practices are also key. Thank you. Thanks, Alistair. Some, some excellent points there. And we'll move on to digitalization later. But before we do, uh, Mathieu, um, could you give us some, some points on the decarbonisation agenda? Sure, Graham. Well, I fully support what uh, Alistair just said. You know, Before uh, COVID-19 changed uh, everybody's plan for 2020, we were already feeling the impact of uh, social and economic change. You know? In fact, we need to meet uh, a change of market and most importantly of society that we see uh, new fuels, uh, new uh, energy, new trades, uh, new types of chips, etc., etc. Therefore, I think shipping has to transform, to uh, decarbonize and to uh, digitalize as raised by Alester. These are twin. This is the famous uh, double D, you know, interlinked pathways to uh, global uh, transformation and better operational results. So for sure, the uh, digitalization has accelerated uh, during the pandemic condition. That's a very good thing. But it's also very uh, crucial to managing and measuring the path to uh, decarbonization. So overall, I think we can see uh, the future direction of travel. The growing number of uh, projects looking at new fuels for shipping indicate that uh, we have a good chance of being ready to use those new fuels if, of course, and when they become available at a sufficient scale. In the meantime, we can see, uh, I think, pragmatic and bridging options, namely LNGS fuel, not fully uh, compliant, as we know well, but certainly a first step with abundant resources and technology available today. So I'm rather optimistic that that will bring, that will bring you know, uh, innovation in gas alternatives, hydrogen, ammonia, and others. But I'm more uh, and uh, more optimistic because it's a, it's a collective approach that uh, all the stakeholders have to commit to. I mean, ship owners, ship builders, manufacturers, including other players of the supply chain. For example, as you know well, Graham, we, we are involved with Shell together with more than 30 shipping names today to look at the future for ammonia as a marine fuel. And likely, I think uh, we will see a class rule for ammonia before there are detailed regulations available on the market. So there are the, the additional insights I wanted to, to share with you. 
Thank you, Mathieu. Thank you very much. So let's move on to digitalization. And let me ask the question as to whether the panel believe that COVID-19 has turbocharged the uptake of digitalization. And how do we maintain the progress? Ugo, can we turn to you, please? Thank you, Graham. First of all, good morning to everybody. And thank you. Uh, of course, uh, COVID-19 has turbocharged something that was already existing. So it was enabler uh, to speed up some processes that uh, will uh, most probably change the, deeply the business model of classification societies. And I would like to concentrate on two points. The first one that is the one that has been more visible during COVID, the need not, uh, to, to uh, make remote inspections on the vessels. And the other one is how important will become class in advisory services for ship owners. These also linked, of course, to digitalization. Uh, I think that remote inspections are not something that, is, uh, that was born and is applied because we have not the possibility to go on board, but are a way of better following the safety and the quality and the maintenance of vessels. Uh, using uh, uh, the new tools that uh, are made available to us uh, from Industry 4.0, uh, using dedicated communication protocol, you can e really do an inspection in a way that is even more e effective and the capability of looking to things and managing things or from remote is even higher than what a, an inspector or two inspectors can do directly on board. Let's take into account, so uh, I think this is a way of making vessels safer and also on the operational side, uh, the capability of carrying out inspections using these tools and uh, using artificial intelligence that more and more can help us in focusing better the inspections will allow ship owners also to carry out these inspections in moments when you can have more attention from the crew. Think to what is the use uh, that we have. A vessel comes into port and there are a lot of entities coming on board, like customs or whatever, and we need also to carry out inspections, asking for some attention and some support from the crew. In the, now, with the communication protocol, you need, of course, dedicated communication protocol. You cannot use uh, Teams or Skype, etc. Otherwise, it's something different from what I am mentioning. But if you use a dedicated communication protocol, you use tools like drones or like small robots, and you have a trained crew, you can carry out this inspection also in moments that are different from the commercial operation of the vessel in port. So, uh, and you can be in touch and drive and uh, guide the crew in case uh, with a vessel at sea, there is a problem that needs to be addressed immediately. Uh, and you have available always for this inspection, the best knowledge that the classification society can put at service by putting, uh, in driving the inspection, uh, from people that has a specific competence and the highest possible competence in specific sectors. So you don't need to have 
many different inspectors with many different uh, competencies, but you can take these conferences from the, the place where you are doing this inspection. So this is, uh, I think, uh, a, a development that is going to continue and is going to make shipping safer. But of course, it's going to change our business model. Uh, if I have just a few seconds left, I would like also to, to speak about advisory services because we, as classification societies, all the classification societies, have available a lot of information about the ships that we are classing. And we can use this information, of course, in a completely anonymous mode, in order to give to our uh, ship owners, to our clients, the possibility to better tune the way in which the managed vessel. Uh, I am speaking about uh, uh, energy efficiency, but I'm speaking also about the type of uh, averages and problems that a vessel is uh, facing uh, during its life. So I think also in this case, digitalization is helping uh, us to be of support of ship owners. And we as classification societies are the best place where you can put information because the engine manufacturer has his own interest, uh, the, 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 the generator manufacturer or whatever. We are a third party. We are working in the interest of safety and of uh, environmental protection. We do not have interest in having a specific uh, information managed in order to, have, uh, to help a commercial interest. We are only working in the interest of the vessel, of the safety, and of the environment. And so we are really the, the right repository of information that can be used thanks to artificial intelligence to make something like, for example, predictive maintenance that is the future of every type of maintenance, not only in shipping. Thank you. Thank you, Hugo. And, and let's go straight on to um, Knut for some, some other reflections. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, Hugo covered a, lo a lot of ground on the remote survey, so I will not uh, put my toes into that. Um, but I, to answer your question, I think, uh, yes, uh, COVID-19 has turbocharged the, the whole maritime industry by at least half a decade. And uh, in addition to a lot of the technology capabilities that also Google covered, uh, there is also the mentality of everyone in the industry these days challenging status quo, challenging the ways things have been done in the past, looking for new and better ways. And this leads me to claiming that I truly believe that the maritime industries is heading into a period of renaissance where we will rediscover ways of doing things in a better, more efficient way. And we will explore innovations. And, and I think this could be a, a fantastic decade for the maritime industry, a renaissance. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Knut. No, very good. So a very important group um, in, in all our discussions is, of course, our people. And looking at the future, what do you believe will be the impact on the seafarer of the technology, the digitalization? and also the future decarbonization pathways. Chris, can we, um, can we turn to you for this one? Sure, thank you, Graham. So 
Well, listen, we, we've talked a lot uh, uh, about the challenges, and there are many challenges. You know, the four big ones that uh, we've talked about is obviously our, uh, our journey towards uh, low carbon shipping. We've talked about the speed, and we've talked about the scope of digitization. We've touched a little bit about uh, one of the big challenges, which is really recognizing unintended safety consequences, especially when you're playing at the intersection of low carbon shipping uh, and digitization. Um, and, and, you know, class is actually kind of built, to be honest with you, to, you know, our sweet spot is really the intersection of regulations, technology, um, and uh, safety. But the one challenge that we haven't uh, talked about is the people challenge. Uh, and this is going to be very important because when we talk about digital technology, we're really talking about people, not so much as, uh, as technology. Uh, and if we're going to find out that as we move forward, culture, quite frankly, is going to be more important than results. And in order for us uh, to do what we need to do, we have to recognize that people are at the center of any integration between regulations, technology, and safety. And you know, as we move forward, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's going to be very important, especially on board the vessel, as even sometimes with ship to shore, communications are going to change. But expecting seafarers to absorb a digital mindset without proper support and the right tools and training really puts them almost in an impossible situation and risks the safety of everyone. So our challenge as an industry is not to forget people. People are the heroes in this digital world. It's not the technology going forward. And uh, because we have to recognize whether we like it or not, you know, we're still operating with a, you know, Knut talked about a mindset. We're still operating uh, and we view our crews with 20th century eyes and we approach and, and, uh, and approach the problems with 20th century attitudes, yet at the same time, we are trying to saddle and burden them with responsibilities of the 21st century. So it's gonna be very important for us to uh, continue to recognize that people are at the center of any integration between the topics that we've talked about. And it's gonna be because, I mean, when we get into something even more specific, you look at uh, kind of, you know, when you look at the low carbon journey and, and making whatever alternate fuel pathway decisions you make and looking at obviously the operational adjustments in real time, it's going to be all about people. It's going to be all about uh, the vessels, um, uh, the people on the vessels and the seafarers making those decisions. So I believe that, uh, you know, going forward, it is um, it, all of us need to, we get very enamored by technology. We get very enamored by looking at alternate fuels and obviously looking at, again, unintended safety consequences and so forth. But at the end of the day, you know, our, our way forward is making sure that uh, people take priority in this, um, in this uh, digital era and in this era of uh, low carbon, um, our, our, you know, low, the pathway to low carbon fuels. Thank you, Chris. Um, Ugo, any further yeah. reflections? Uh, it's a, the, I have listened to very interesting topics, of course. I am fully in agreement with Chris, saying that we have always to think that on board of the vessel we have a crew, and these people that is on board of the vessel must be put in position to operate safely. The, the, the answer is training, training, and training. We need to uh, increase the education of our crews, uh, say, thinking that they have in their hands something that is completely different to manage and to maintain 
than was just 10 years or 15 years ago. Uh, I was very much interested also in listening to Alastair because uh, decarbonization is one of the challenges, but is one of the opportunities of the industry. Let me say one small thing. We are going towards a world where the cost of producing energy is going really close to zero. The last project we are following in Saudi Arabia for photovoltaic is planned to produce at 1.5 cents per kilowatt hour. So it means that in that place, energy is close to zero. We have to think to the means to transport energy. Hydrogen and ammonia, that is a good mean to transport hydrogen, are to be considered not as fuels, but as means of transport to transform this energy in the future using simple systems, like, for example, fuel cells. Uh, we have to think that this is not going to the moon. It's a technology already existing. We have to improve the cost and the uh, availability and the efficiency and effectiveness of these tools. But this is going to be considered as one of the solution, or maybe the most important solution, to meet IMO 2050 uh, targets. So this is very challenging, and I think as classification societies, we are all working in research and development. Let's think big. Let's think to a future that is different from today. Thank you very much, uh, Ugo. And uh, my, my final question is about the classification societies. And as I said, they're an important group. They sit at the intersection of all the key industry groups, whether that's owners and managers of ships, equipment manufacturers, ship owners, and the shipping bodies. How do you think the classification societies can use their position best and play an even bigger role? Mathieu, can we turn to you, please? Well, uh, hopefully, uh, on behalf of Hall, if I had to address uh, a key messaging, I would say that class is a key enabler for the safe transformation of shipping that we are, we are talking about. You know, cl class has always uh, evolved to meet the uh, changing requirements of shipping. But today, to me, change is, uh, is not only linear in, in the current transformation. We have certainly a key role to play in helping ensure that the commercial and the regulatory decisions are made on the best technical and risk management inside. And uh, there will be many challenges as regulation may, may struggle to keep up. You know, the, the marketplace is changing. It's not only a, a request uh, to adapt, but a change with wider energy sources new infrastructure as part of the restructuring of the supply chain. So to provide the, the, the insight that the market needs, uh, we must look at projects that are not just about a single ship design, but we need to involve all the stakeholders in the maritime supply chain to address global risk and build confidence. As a, an example, you can see that, the, uh, that in the LNG as two projects, Stakeholders as the port authorities, the flag authorities, and sometimes the charterers are also involved in the risk analysis. So it's actually a global commitment. And you could have the same example in uh, digitalization, where the principle of uh, blockchains, for instance, involve different players who shall rely on safe collaborative solutions. So we are talking uh, really of global risk. And from that perspective, I think that class societies, by their expertise, really sit at the intersection. So expertise uh, brings me also to people. 
you know that the transformation of us is going to be about people, our people, your people, all the stakeholders. So we'll be needing people with new skills. We need to, uh, let's say, to be uh, very uh, reliant on them to develop uh, new roles and new expertise. If you remember, 50 years ago, we developed uh, LNG expertise. Uh, 40 years ago, we started hiring people who could code, you know, and develop uh, innovative calculation software solutions. And today, uh, while we are working at the expansion of LNG as a marine fuel, we are also looking for experts in fuel cells, gas like hydrogen, as we prepare for what's coming next. And this is, I think, the, the same in digitalization, where we need you know, a good consensus between the shipping experience and new competencies in data scientists. We talked you know, about predictive maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So somewhere, a gradual shift of skills. And as uh, class societies, our, our mission is uh, certainly to build that expertise and again, help ensure that the, the commercial and regulatory decisions are made on the best technical and risk management. And this is uh, certainly where we can help IMO and other associations uh, accordingly. In, uh, interestingly, as well, by recent experience, um, I also feel that we shall work with stakeholders beyond our day-to-day -day industry relationships. We can see uh, initiatives as a, uh, you know, rest restart your business. It's a new service we launched, you know, in April with a dedicated uh, safeguard label in order to address the biological risk as caused by COVID-19 and other infections, you know. So it provides procedures and measures to protect the passengers, company personnel, and uh, let's say to, to uh, protect the, stakeholder, the stakeholders as a general. So as business resume uh, operations, appropriate health and safety standards to be put in place. And that's why we, we develop, you know, these new requirements across many industries. So what I'm seeing here, it's beyond our usual class services, but the experience of working across uh, many sectors is certainly seen uh, very uh, relevant to shipping. I mean, listening to fresh thinking from outside shipping will be certainly essential in the future. Finally, uh, I would like to, to say that uh, telling our story is vital. Shipping is a vital, valuable, important industry. The world, you know, needs and that uh, we can be very proud of. So classification sits right in the middle of that story. And again, uh, as a key takeaway, class is certainly a key enabler, you know, in there for the safe transformation of shipping. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mathieu. Um, uh, Alistair, may, we've got a few, few seconds left. <laughs> any, uh, any, uh, any points to add to what Mathieu said? Uh, thanks, Graham. I, I realize we're running out of time. Two key additional points. I think Matthew covered that really well. And I, actually, just, to, just off the back of a number of comments made by other panelists, uh, Chris has already noted uh, today, classification societies are ideally a uh, place to support, for example, creation of the pathways I mentioned earlier to, to zero carbon fuel, bringing together representatives from governments, regulatory bodies, and so on. We're, we're actively working with, you know, all the major, major companies, the shipping companies, engine makers, and so on. And I, I know other class are, do, are doing that too. 
So we're absolutely ideally placed. The other point I'd make is the, te the technology developments that are coming through, we're able to qualify. Classification societies are able to qualify a lot of these things. There's some really new innovative stuff coming to market around fuel consumption, already qualified in the marketplace, air lubrication systems, uh, Fletnor rotors are, are two examples. So um, class, uh, I've got an extremely important role to play in, in that too. Thank you, Alistair, Canu, Ugo, Mathieu and Chris. Uh, a great panel, really, really rich um, discussion. Uh, one thing for sure uh, is that uh, as we find solutions and we move forward, we're going to need to work together as one global shipping team. And uh, you've demonstrated that today. Thank you. Uh, if there are any questions from the audience, then please would you go now to the Capital Link chat room. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you to everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.